Tonight, we're going to be looking at our gospel reading a little bit. And to get into the conversation about that, I want us to talk a little about the idea of confession. Confession is a really uh, good thing to discuss during Lent. Of course, we pray the prayer of confession every week. We're going to do that here in a few moments. Um, and I hope that all of us pray some kind of prayer like that every day. The Psalms tell us that God's mercies are new every morning. And one of the gifts of our faith is a new start every morning. So I hope that we will take advantage of this. And the prayer of confession is one way, not the only way, but one way that we experience that. Many of you are familiar with the fact that St. Augustine is famous for his book called The Confessions. Uh, if you want something to read this Lent, you could hardly do better than reading his confessions, and I encourage you to do it. There's a great translation by Sarah Rudin that's just a couple of years old, and it's really, really, really well done. In the confessions, Augustine confesses his sins in enough detail to make the reader want to follow in his steps. He stops short of bragging about his sins or recounting them in a way that would make his reader stumble. Augustine addresses his confessions to God. That's the entire book, is Augustine addressing God. And as he does this, he reflects on God's nature, on the nature of the Trinity, on the nature of time, even. It's theology and it's doxology all wrapped up together. And if you just like good writing, somebody who puts a sentence together well, Augustine really does it. And one of the more famous parts of the confessions Augustine recounts how he and some young playmates of his stole some pears, and they stole them for the sheer thrill of it. They didn't even eat them. They didn't enjoy them. They weren't really hungry. And it stands as a great example of how we use our freedom at times to indulge ourselves. Sometimes we allow our freedom to run wild, and we sin for no good reason at all. And that's exactly what Augustine recognized is that stealing those pears was sin, pure and simple. Roughly 1,200 years after that, after Augustine wrote about stealing his pears, another philosophical giant was writing his own confessions, and he was recounting a time when he had stolen asparagus. Now, clearly, Augustine stole something that was worth more uh, than this person did, but it was Jean-Jacques Rousseau. He's one of those names that we remember from somewhere in our schooling, but we don't really recall why he's important. Rousseau was a philosopher and a political theorist and one of those persons that we have to thank for the French Revolution. Just in case you've been thinking, I need to thank somebody for the French Revolution. Um, so keep in mind, if there's no French Revolution, there's no Les Miserables, right? And there's no uh, lobster in a diner. So let the reader understand. So. I've been waiting for, for weeks to tell that joke. So, so, so glad an opportunity came up. Um, but where Augustine laments his sins, Rousseau brags about his. Where Augustine explains his actions without excusing them, Rousseau describes his actions and he offers no excuse. This is because Rousseau feels that the self is sovereign and whatever the self wants, the self should get. Whatever the self wants to do or be, the self should pursue. Rousseau is laying the groundwork for a worldview where the human being is subject to no one but their own desires. 
Augustine saw the self as the great barrier to humanity's reunion with God. For Rousseau, the self wasn't the barrier at all. Instead, God and religion and the demands of society were a barrier. Let's let the man, Rousseau, speak for himself. And this is how he begins his confessions. I am resolved on an undertaking that has no model and will have no imitator. I want to show my fellow man in all the truth of nature, and this man is to be myself. He's very convinced of how interesting he is as a person. Now, I mentioned this, Augustine's confessions are just that. It's a confession, an act of contrition. What we learn about Augustine, the person is secondary to the book's overall purpose. The confessions draw the reader toward doxology. It inspires worship of God. You probably remember that it was from Augustine's confessions that we hear these really famous words. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Compare that with the opening of Rousseau's confessions. It's really good stuff. One sentence that seems to sum up so much of our existence. Rousseau's confessions are a parody of Augustine's. It's a philosophical argument wrapped up in autobiography. Rousseau wants to remove the restraints that prevent people from being and doing whatever they want to be or do. Do you want to be a philanderer? Then pursue your libido and obey it. You are your only master. Are you a parent and tired of being a parent? Are your children in the way of you becoming all that you can be? Then give them up to the state. Give them up to an orphanage. Escape that burden. And that's exactly what Rousseau did with his five children. He was perfectly capable of providing for them. Let's listen to what Rousseau says one more time. And then I'll stop torturing you with them. The particular object of my confessions is to make known my inner self exactly as it was in every circumstance of my life. It is the history of my soul that I promised. And to relate it faithfully, I require no other memorandum. All I need do, as I have done up until now, is to look inside myself. Everything is there. I've mentioned this before. I historically am a huge Dallas Cowboys fan, which means I love, love, love Emmett Smith, who's roughly the same age as me. And I remember when I was 25 and he was about the same age and he had had a couple of good years, he wrote his autobiography. It's, a hard, it's hard for me to say that tonight for some reason. And I remember when I saw that his autobiography came out, uh, I thought to myself, I love Emmett Smith, but... I don't think I care that much to read about him. I mean, he's 24, 25. What does he got to say? Uh, I'm a great running back. Done. Um, yeah, there's more to it, I'm sure. But Rousseau was in love with his inner life. And I suspect some of us are in that same boat. He needs nothing but himself, he says, to determine what is good and right and best. In reality, I think many of us Probably all of us are like Rousseau. We just have better taste and recognize how bad it looks for us to be so self-referential or self-reverential. They both, they both apply.
Let me pray for us as we continue. Oh Lord, we are blinded by our own light. Give us the wisdom to hear your call and to respond. Give us the strength to resist ourselves as ourselves resist you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Rousseau rejects a really basic fact, and that is that self-denial is a critical part of the Christian life. And in fact, we all know that it's a critical part of human life, Christian or otherwise. In order to be healthy, we have to resist some of the desires that we have. If we want to compete in athletics, it requires discipline and self-denial. If we want to do well in school, we have to deny many of our impulses in order that we can do the necessary work. And speaking of work, employment requires self-denial, even on a small scale where we learn to submit our desires to those of our employer. It's a fact of life that really hardly needs explanation anymore. Mark's gospel in chapter eight reminds us that Jesus's own disciples didn't fully appreciate the necessity of self-denial. The master tells them that he's going to undergo suffering and rejection and even be killed. Peter takes him aside, it says, to rebuke him. And I love the fact that Peter takes him aside. It's one of the few times, maybe the only time, that Peter is actually polite in all of the Bible, right? In all of his encounters. It's as if he read Matthew 18 on confronting your, you know, maybe he got that message by this time, I suppose. Um, but he takes him aside. But we know how the story goes. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, which in this context doesn't mean that Peter is actually the devil, but, but he's the one who's tempting Jesus. He's the accuser, the opponent who is attempting Jesus to go off track. And Jesus in that moment practices self-denial. And when, then we receive those words that mark us so deeply. And these are words that are meant for the Lenten season, or the Lenten season, I should say, is meant for these words. Jesus says, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Jesus invites his followers into his suffering. He invites his followers into his suffering. He uses the language of the cross before he even goes to the cross. He sees what's coming. He knows that the cry of the self, that thing within us, is, is in all of his disciples is going to get louder and louder, telling them to go in the opposite direction of discipleship, towards safety, comfort, and towards what is predictable. The way the Gospel of Mark is written, Mark 8 is smack dab in the middle. In the beginning, uh, there's, Jesus seems to be up in the northern part of uh, Palestine around, around Galilee. But then in Mark 8, it's like everything gets honed into a point. And Jesus is driving his way towards Jerusalem and towards the cross. And in doing that, even his conversations with his disciples become more pointed and even stronger. And he knows that the cry of what's going on inside of us is not going to be more self-denial, but more self-indulgence. Now, this is where Lent comes in. Lent is practice. It's practice in self-denial. 
I hope that you, when it is appropriate, will deny yourself all the time year round. Don't just limit it to these six weeks, please. Um, but use these six weeks as a reminder that God really has empowered you to grow and to do things that you wouldn't ordinarily know that you could do. Lent comes around every year, and it's an opportunity for us to practice saying no to ourselves in order that we might fight for God's presence in our lives. We learn to say no to ourselves so that we can fight for God's presence in our lives. Our times of worship, our experiences of prayer, our fasting, our almsgiving, our acts of service are not attempts to get God to like us. They are the work of clearing away the debris that surrounds our hearts that prevent us from seeing God's work in our lives. These things that are impediments to us perceiving the love of God. Lent is environmental work in that respect. Self-denial is environmental work. We're not denying ourselves for the sake of self-denial. We're denying ourselves in order to see some of this clutter around us get cleared away so that we can recognize the God who stands before us. When Jesus calls us to take up our cross and to deny ourselves and even to lose our lives, he is not advocating on any level or in any way a kind of self-abuse. Brennan Manning described Jesus as a stranger to self-hatred, and this is to be true of his followers as well. So it is wrong today, it'll be wrong tomorrow, it'll always be wrong to use spiritual disciplines or activities to abuse yourself or to punish yourself. That doesn't mean that they won't hurt sometimes, but that's not the purpose of them. Jesus was a stranger to self-hatred, and we are to be a stranger to self-hatred as well. Much of the pain that comes to us in the experience of denying ourselves is a result of coming to terms with who we really are. How many of you have seen a, a photograph of yourself and thought, oh, that's not really me. That's, that's not what I look like. Uh, I do that uh, every single Saturday night. Um, and it's a, one of the moving pictures. Don't like it. Um, this is so white. Uh, there we go. Get in there a little bit. Um, anyway, I, Whenever I see a photograph of myself, I'm stunned by how Santa-like this thing has become. Because when I look at myself in the mirror every morning, it's really kind of a deep, luxuriant, dark brown. So it was in like 1998, I think. Maybe maybe more recent than then. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but we all have experienced this, where we look at a picture or we see a picture of ourselves and we're like, I don't really like that. That's... I don't think that's what I look like, at least not in our mind. Or we've done the same thing when we hear our voice in a recording. I don't sound like that. Uh, in reality, we do look like that, and we do sound like that. Lent is a good season for us all to just come to terms with that fact. That's just where we are. Um, we just don't want to look or sound like that. Our sense of who we are is always a construction. And Jesus would like to break through the construction in order that we might receive and experience the love that God has for us. And it's that same love that in our own pride, we often reject. Jesus 
was a stranger to self-hatred. And we are to be a stranger, we are to be strangers to self-hatred as well. But Jesus was also a stranger to self-deceit. And he is bringing us along on that journey of learning who we are and learning not to hate who and what we really are. And in some cases, <laughs> in some cases, it's a, it's a matter of us learning not to love ourselves too much. Repentance is the practice of reminding ourselves that we are neither as bad as we often feel, nor are we as good as we often dream. Coming back to Augustine for just a moment, he's, he's really good in describing the danger of self-deception. And I think we are especially prone to this. And when I say we, I mean us at Wheatland. And I'm not thinking of any of us in particular, but here's what I think of us. I, I mean, I, we're a smart group of people. We're sophisticated. We're complex. Uh, we like books and documentaries and fancy things, right? And I think all of this stuff, fancy things like documentaries. Anybody ever thought of a documentary as a fancy thing? Um, that's why we can't have fancy things. Um, anyway. But because of who we are, I think that the temptation to deceive ourselves might even be greater. Because I think we're, we're smart enough to be really good at it. And I, I, I think that's a backhanded compliment that I just gave us all, right? We're smart enough to be really deluded sometimes. So Augustine is great at dealing with this in the, in the Confessions. He recounts a story uh, of what went on in his own mind when he was listening to a man by the name of Pontitianus uh, share about his conversion to Christianity. So listen to what Augustine says as he's listening to another man talk about his conversion to Christianity. Augustine at this point is recounting a moment before he's a Christian. He's being brought in... Um, to this conversion experience. And he says this, he's always in the, in the confessions addressing God, by the way, it begins. And you, O Lord, never cease to watch over my secret heart. And you never cease to watch over my secret heart. While he was speaking, O Lord, you were turning me around to look at myself. For I had placed myself behind my own back, refusing to see myself. Let me read that again. While he was speaking, O Lord, you were turning me around to look at myself. For I had placed myself behind my own back, refusing to see myself. You were setting me before my own eyes so that I could see how sordid I was, how deformed and squalid how tainted with ulcers and sores. Augustine, you know, does like to, does like that little flourish there at the end, doesn't he? For I had placed myself behind my own back. This is what I mean by self-deception. We're really good at it. We have ways of fooling ourselves. Now, there are some basic things that we can do that help us in this realm of self-denial. But I think the most important thing for us to do is to recognize who Jesus is, because without a vision of who he is, we are very likely will not 
have the energy necessary for self-denial. We may have no reason, as a matter of fact, to deny ourselves. But when we take account of the person of Jesus, who is at the very same time divine, God himself, then we find that he has given us the energy to resist the self and mercy to properly, properly care for ourselves. If you'll notice in Mark chapter 8, the reading tonight started where Jesus accuses Peter of uh, being Satan. But just before that is that all-important section where Peter says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter sees Jesus for who he is as best as he can at that moment. And it's that strengthening, it is that vision, I think, of Christ that empowers us on this journey. The ugliness of Rousseau's confessions is assuming that everything that goes on in our inner life is worth sharing with the world. But in reality, everything that goes on in our inner life is worth sharing with a confessor, whether that's a brother or sister, a spouse, a friend, or God himself. And I think the reality that we need to claim during the Lenten season is that there really are things in our inner lives that we need to resist, reject, and overcome. Even if we've been Christians a long time, even if we're regular people in worship and regular in prayer, there are things in our inner lives that need correction. The beauty of Augustine's confessions is that we discover that through rejecting self-deception, through practicing self-denial, that we learn to love ourselves rightly and well as we love our neighbors. Another big theme of Augustine's that I'm not going to get into right now is the right ordering of our loves. Is it appropriate for you to love yourself? Absolutely. In the right order. Is it appropriate for you to love your spouse? Is it appropriate for you to love your friends? Is it appropriate for you to love your church? All of these things in the proper order. And God, of course, being the greatest of all our loves. As we love God rightly, all of these other things begin to fall into place. Confession and repentance are not a burden placed upon us. They are not something we simply need to do. But I hope during Lent we'll discover that they are a gateway to greater life in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Of course, it's Jesus himself who tells us, for those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. I mentioned a few minutes ago, this, uh, or I quoted again a quote from last week uh, by Matthias Caro. Uh, and, and the quote ends with him saying, Lent is a fight for God's presence in our lives. Lent is a fight for God's presence in our lives. And the work of self-denial is the weapon that facilitates that, that experience. So as we go into our uh, prayer of communion here, or our prayer of uh, confession here in just a couple of moments, um, I want us to keep that notion in mind 
that Lent is a fight for God's presence in our lives. Let me pray for us. Oh Lord, this is the season of repentance. Give us the ability to repent regularly, deeply, fully, and in complete trust that your forgiveness and acceptance is enough. In the name of the one who personifies forgiveness, Jesus Christ,